Hear now the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death. And Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We are beginning a new series today from this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to be focusing mainly on chapters 2 and 3. The series is called, Hear What the Spirit Says to the Churches. And I just want to begin by explaining that, what that's all about, why that's the title. Chapter 1, which we just read, 
is basically an introduction to the whole book. Then in chapters 2 and 3, which is going to be our focus, we come to the first major content of the book, which is a series of seven messages to seven specific churches, the churches that we just saw there in chapter 1. And all of these seven messages conclude with a certain statement. Each one, when you get near the end of the message, it says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's very much like something Jesus would say when he was here on earth and he'd be teaching crowds of people and he would tell parables, he would tell stories with a point about God, who He is, and who we are, and how we can be in relationship with Him. And near the end of the story, he would sometimes say this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what's he talking about? What's he saying? I mean, is he really making a distinction between those physically who have ears and those who don't? No, it's, it's a figure of speech. It means something, not so much about physical ears. It's talking about an attitude, a certain attitude of listening, an attitude of wanting to listen, an attitude of wanting to pay attention, of wanting to understand and actually put into practice what's being said. Because we all know there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between listening because you have to, because you have no choice, because someone's standing there talking to you, whether you want to listen or not, and you're not really interested in what's being said, but to be polite, you have to listen. There's a big difference between that and actually wanting to hear what's being said. We all know that. I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was in college, I had this class in economics. And I had to take it because it was required for my major. Frankly, I don't think anybody would have taken this class if it hadn't been required. Because it was taught by a guy who gave what were arguably the most Boring lectures in the history of the world. (laughs) This guy could barely speak English. He taught with his back to the class as he drew supply and demand curves on the board. And what he was talking about didn't matter to me at all. It just did, well, that's not completely true. It mattered to me for one reason only, and that's because I had to pass the class. That's all that mattered. And so I gave this guy my absolute minimum attention, just just enough to get by. In that situation, I did not have ears to hear. Now, at the same period of my life, I would often spend time in the evenings talking on the phone to a certain young lady (laughs) named Karen, who is now my wife. 
and we would talk We would talk at length about nothing. <laughs> well, not really nothing, but she would tell me what she had been doing and what she was doing and what she was going to do. And then my personal favorite, she would talk about me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when she would talk to me about me and how much she liked me and admired me, and missed me, I can assure you that at that moment, I had ears to hear. <laughs> and if she wrote me a letter, or a note, because this is back in the dark ages, before email, <laughs> certainly before Facebook or anything like that, I would read it, and I would reread it, and I would savor it, because what she said really mattered to me. Now, was it as important as what I was learning in my economics class? You know, we're talking about world economy. We're talking about things like unemployment and inflation and these massive concerns that the world is so concerned. Was, was what she said as important as that? Well, I'm sure it wouldn't be to most people, but to me there was no contest. What she said was far, far more important. See, when somebody really matters to you, what they say really matters to you. And that is how the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to hear what He has said by His Spirit to these churches. Really, that's what this first chapter is telling us. Why we should have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, why we should want to listen, why we should pay close attention, why we should want to understand. Listening not as though it's a boring lecture in economics, but as if it's a love letter from someone we deeply care about. Let me show you. Why we should hear what the Spirit says to the churches, as if it matters, as if it really matters. Because Jesus really matters. Because Jesus really matters. As I just said, you know, when someone really matters to you, what they say really matters to you. And Jesus should really matter to us. Because of who He is, and because of all that He has done for us. That's what gets most of the attention in this chapter. Uh, even though there's lots of interesting things here. You know, as, we, as I was reading through that, there may have been things where you thought, well, that's really interesting, you know, I wonder what that means, or I'm curious about that. Even though there are many interesting things here, the focus is clearly on Jesus who he is, and what he's done. I mean, the very first words are the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing of something either from Jesus or possibly about Jesus, but whether it's from him or about him, whichever way you take it, he is definitely the main issue. 
It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that means that when you read this book, and I certainly encourage you to do that, take time and read it, you don't want to get so preoccupied with the details that you miss the big point. And one of the things that makes the book of Revelation so interesting is that it's so full of symbolism. Symbolism. Like, like here in chapter 1, where uh, this vision of this one like a son of man who's referring to Jesus, and out of his mouth comes a sharp, double-edged sword. Well, what are we to think of that? That Jesus actually has a sword for a tongue? No, it's a symbol. It's, it's talking about the power of his word, the power of the word of God. It's just like in Hebrews where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharp as any two-edged sword, and it cuts between truth and error and gets down deep. It's a symbol. Uh, similarly, in this vision, there's, there's these seven golden lampstands, and it, we're told that these lampstands represent or symbolize churches. So, see, a symbol is one thing that represents or stands for something else. And there are many, many symbols in this book. Lots of them. I mean, there's rainbows, there's thrones, there's crowns, there's creatures with many heads, there's beasts, there's special numbers. And you can get so wrapped up in the symbolism that you miss the main thing. So right out of the starting blocks here, let's be clear about what the main thing is. What's the main thing in this book? Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord over heaven and earth. He is Lord over the dead. He's Lord over the living. He is the Lord over judgment. He is the Lord of all. He rules. He wins. He rescues His people. He defeats all evil. He makes right every wrong. And if you know Him, if you trust Him, if you rely on Him, then no matter how bad things get in this world, and His book says they're going to get bad, but no matter how bad they get, you will never be defeated, ever, because of Jesus. Because He wins, you win, if you put your life in His hands. It's absolutely certain because of who He is. And this book was written largely to believers who were discouraged because of how crazy the world was, how much they were suffering. And this book is to say, take heart, take courage you're on the winning side because of Jesus. He wins. Now just look. Look at all that this chapter says about who Jesus is here in chapter 1. And can I just encourage you to try to let these words sink in, even if you've heard them many times or words like them. Don't let these words just be a bunch of interesting religious terminology. Think about what they mean. And think about what they mean for you. You. This is a real description. Even though it's got all kinds of symbols and, you know, kind of 
strange statements. This is a real description of a real person. So what does it say? It says first that Jesus is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. What does that mean? It means he always tells the truth. Always. Wouldn't it be something to be governed by people who always told the truth? Jesus always tells the truth. He will never lie to you. He will never deceive you. He will never mislead you. He always tells the truth. It says he is the firstborn from the dead. Means he was dead. Now he's alive. He rules over the dead, firstborn. It says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. That means he has ultimate authority. And you watch the news and it's very troubling to see what some rulers and some nations, criminals, to see what they're doing. And we can get very disturbed by that. This means that there is no one, no one, no king, no president, no dictator, no organized crime boss, no government, no terrorist that has power enough to overrule or thwart Jesus Christ. Nobody has the power to defeat him. And it says he is the one who loves us. Let that sink in. As you think about Jesus and his attitude toward you, what's, what's at the top there? What first comes to your mind? Well, when Jesus thinks of me, he thinks, what, loser? Someone in need of a spanking? Is he angry? That's not his main attitude toward you. His main attitude is love. His most basic foundational attitude toward you is a desire to do good to you. He's the one who loves us. And the proof of this is the very next thing it says, the one who freed us from our sins by his blood. Yes, we're celebrating freedom this weekend. Fourth of July, I understand, is tomorrow. Um, Apparently there's some confusion about that because fireworks have been going off incessantly. (laughs) Which is fun, especially when you have a dog who's totally freaking out. (laughs) And we as Americans are very fond of freedom, and rightly so. Um, The thing is, you can be an American, and you can have all the rights of being an American, and you can still not be free. Because the one who frees us frees us from our sins by his blood. The 4th of July won't free you from your sins. And that's your biggest problem. And that's my biggest problem. I need to be freed from my sins. And the only one who can do it is Jesus because only he could and only he did die in our place. Freed us from our sins by his blood. If you ever wonder if Jesus loves you, look at the cross. He is the one who made us a kingdom and priests. That's very interesting. We could talk about that for a long time. But here's the thing to get here. He is the one who defines our purpose. 
He's the one who defines what the purpose of our lives is. He made us to be a kingdom of God. He made us to be priests of God. He made us to be ruled by God in our lives. He made us to be able to to go to God directly. You, You are a priest. If you know Jesus, you don't need a priest, someone else to go to Jesus for you. You have direct access to him. And notice, the purpose is very God-centered. Kingdom of God, priests of God. That's that's what Jesus does for us. He puts God at the center of our lives. And that alone makes our lives truly meaningful. You know, people are trying to always center their lives around other things. We constantly are tempted to put things like money or success or some other relationship at the center of our lives. If Jesus gets a hold of your life, God gets at the center of your life. That's, he is unalterably determined to put God at the center of your life. Jesus is the one to whom belong eternal power and glory. Eternal power and glory. That means he's worthy of our worship. What's getting your ultimate devotion? What's getting your ultimate attention? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, whatever that thing is, is an idol and needs to be replaced. He is worthy of eternal devotion, power and glory. And he's the one, here's one of the symbols, who stands among the lampstands. The churches. Now that means he's not just the founder of the churches. He's not just some historical figurehead. You know, kind of like the way we think about George Washington, father of the country, or or some other religious figure who started something and then, you know, that's it. He's just the historical figurehead, the founder. No, this means he stands among the churches. He means he's with his churches. He's in the midst of his churches right now. He's there. He's here. In our midst. To guide us to comfort us, and to correct us. And then this vision shows us that He is awesome in holiness and power. This vision of bright, white, brilliant, and fire. And this is a, these are symbols of purity, of unimaginable purity and holiness and power. And He's gracious and compassionate. John falls on his face in fear. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand and touches him and says, don't be afraid. Gracious, compassionate. And he's the eternal one who conquered death. They tried to kill him. They tried to get rid of him. They failed. He's not dead. He conquered death. That means nobody can defeat him. Okay, so look at the list. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loves us, the one who freed us from our sins by his blood, the one who made us a kingdom and priest, the one to whom belong eternal power and glory, the one who stands among the lampstands, awesome in holiness and power, gracious and compassionate, the eternal one who conquered death. This is the one who speaks to us. This one, the most awesome, the most majestic, 
the most powerful person in the universe has something to say to you. To you. And to me. Do we have ears to hear? Verse 3 says, Blessed. Happy. Happy is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and happy are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Do you want to be blessed? What a stupid question. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. I don't think I've ever talked to one who doesn't want to be blessed. I mean, if you give people a choice, hey, would you like to be blessed or not be blessed? Everybody's going to say, I want to be blessed. All right, well, if you want to be a blessed person, if you want your family to be a blessed family, if you want your church to be a blessed church, then hear. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen. Listen as if it really matters. Because Jesus really matters. And he has something to say. And then listen for another reason. Listen because your church matters. Your church really matters. And I say that whether or not this is your church or you're from out of town and you have another church. Whatever your church is, your church really matters. So here's, here's the Apostle John. This is the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament. He also wrote the Epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Here's John, and he has been exiled to this tiny little island called Patmos, exiled, separated from all the people he loves, from the work that he loves, just put out on this rock, basically. Why? To get rid of him, to get him out of the way. Somebody wanted him out of the way because he would not shut up about Jesus. So let's put him out on a rock. And, and John's out there, and I'm sure feeling very lonely, feeling very much useless, can't do anything for God out here on the island. Oh, yeah? And God gives him a vision of Jesus, Lord of the universe. Now, when he gets a glimpse of this most majestic, awesome, powerful person in the universe, what is Jesus doing? Think of all the things that a vision of Jesus could show him doing. Being worshipped by angels. Creating new galaxies somewhere. I don't know. Think of all the things in the universe that Jesus could be concerned about and interested in and focused on. What is he doing in this vision? He's standing among his churches, giving them a message. Now think about what that tells us about his priorities. Think about what that tells us about what concerns him. About what his interests are. What's important to Jesus? His churches are important to him. 
his churches. That's why he's with them. That's why he has a message for them. His churches really matter to him. And that's just so different. That's so different from the way so many people think about churches. I mean, do churches matter? (sighs) To the world, not at all. I mean, at best, churches just take up space. At worst, they're a total nuisance. And frankly, this attitude is true of a lot of people who profess to be Christians. Churches aren't important to them. They matter very little. They say things like, well, I can go to this one. And if they do something I don't like, then I'll go to this one. And if they do something I don't like, I'll go to this one. And you know what? If I don't really go that often or at all, it doesn't matter, really, because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, in the first place, going to church is not an idea found in the Bible anyway. A church is a group of Jesus' followers who band themselves together to worship the Lord and to pursue His mission, His purpose. Filled with His Spirit, obeying His commands to love God and love one another. That's a church. And the simple fact is, you can't live out the Christian life the way the Bible describes the Christian life. You can't do it apart from a church family. And I find it very significant that the seven messages that we're going to be looking at are all addressed to churches, which means that Jesus expects his people to be connected to churches. So if church isn't important to us, then we're out of touch with what's important to Jesus. Even if your church has problems, and I guarantee it does, because they all do. They all do. One of the things we're going to see as we go through these messages is that every single one of these churches has problems. And Jesus does not say to them, okay, your church has got problems, go somewhere else. He says, work it out. Work out the problems. Fix the problems. If you're looking for the perfect church, you'll never find it because it doesn't exist. And as Rick Warren says, if you did find the perfect church and you joined it, you'd ruin it. (laughs) So, but it it doesn't exist. And until Jesus makes me perfect and you perfect and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord perfect, until he does that, churches are going to be imperfect because that's what churches are. Just a bunch of sinners with problems like us, but with a great purpose and a great Lord who is concerned and cares about every one of his churches, every single one. All of Jesus' churches matter to him. Every one of these messages to the seven churches says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, what Jesus says to one church, he wants all of his churches to hear. What he says to one, he says to them all. Because we can all learn from what Jesus says to the churches. So that is our aim in this series. Well, that's what we're going to 
seek to do. We're going to seek to learn what we can learn from what Jesus says by his spirit to his churches. The question, of course, is, will it make any difference? Will it make a difference? Well, it will if we have ears to hear. It will if we want to hear it. It will if we want to understand it. It will if we want to put it into practice, what he says. So I'm asking you, along with me, to pray. Pray that God will give us ears to hear. Let's pray. Our Father, I just bow before you and invite everyone here to bow their heart with me. And I just confess, sometimes your truth comes to me and my heart is just hard and it's as if the truth just kind of bounces off. My ears are closed. I'm not listening. Well, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to listen that way to what you have to say to us. Father, will you please give us ears to hear? Will you please give us hearts that just look at this awesome person, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and may we be stunned that this Lord of all would care enough about us to, to speak to us and to shed his blood to set us free. Lord, we want to walk in freedom. And that means not thinking of ourselves as independent, but as gloriously dependent on you. So, Father, speak by your Spirit. Magnify Jesus in our hearts and minds and lives. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.